0: Good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are here with me today. We've got a wonderful show in store for you today with a great guest in studio with us that uh, I think you're really going to enjoy talking about a very important topic. But first, of course, we have our quotes of the day from the universe and from Abraham let's see what the universe and abraham have in store for us today first from the universe thinking brand new thoughts that you've never thought before is far more conducive to creating big life changes than thinking different varieties of the same old thoughts Think about it. The universe. <laughs> I think the universe is having a little fun with us today, uh, reminding us that, you know, if we want to change, change starts with our thoughts. You know, it starts, I like to say, with our focus, with, you know, what are we thinking about? What are we ruminating on? What are we meditating on? And that, you know, if we keep focusing on the same old thing, if we keep thinking the same old way, we're going to get the same old results. We're going to stay in the same places. We're going to be a little bit stuck maybe. So the more we shift our thinking, and you guys know it's not just about thinking, it's about feeling, it's about embodying different things as well, Um, but it it starts with the thinking. So as we learn to think different things, Uh, we can now sort of come up with uh, different ways of doing things. You know, being open, being open-minded is actually one of the greatest traits that we can have because if we're open, then we're open to what comes next. We're open to what life is about to bring us. We're open to different ideas of how things can be done and what can be done. So, uh Wonderful quote for the universe for us to think about. And uh, let's see what Abraham has in store for us today. From Abraham, every time you say, I appreciate that, I really like that, I applaud that, I acknowledge the value in that. Every time you do that, you spend some of your energy and it is the spending of the energy that creates a vacuum, so to speak, or an attraction, so to speak, that draws more and more and more and more. Abraham. So this is an interesting quote. I don't think I've ever seen this one before where Abraham's talking about first the importance of appreciation and acknowledgement and and really kind of uh, putting it out there of how much you're enjoying something but what Abraham is saying is that when we do that we're actually expending energy that makes sense right and that expenditure of energy creates a little bit of a vacuum or a space or an openness which can then draw to it or attract to it more of that very same thing that you're acknowledging that you're appreciating um, so that's an interesting way. It's kind of, uh, you know, talking in a way about how the law of attraction works. Because, you know, you guys know, you, you've been listening to me for, for long enough now talk about this stuff. Gratitude is one of the highest vibrations we can hold. Being appreciative of, of what's happening, what's going on, what are you working on, that that is, is one of the ways to draw more things to you. You know, it, it's kind of like holding your arms open to the universe saying, Thank you so much, may I have some more. And so what Abraham is saying is the kind of the mechanics behind that is that by opening up your arms, by appreciating what the universe has already brought to you, by by acknowledging it and 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 really putting out the effort to be able to say, like, this is so wonderful. That that way you're you're creating space for more of that to come, so this is really kind of why um, sort of appreciating something and and being grateful for it actually brings more of that in because you're making the space for it so that's an interesting way an interesting quote, an interesting way to think about sort of the energy and and the the, the sort of give and take and the flow of things and how uh, it, it interplays in our life and allowing things to come in or not come in if we don't give the gratitude. And and these two quotes very much interrelate. When you think about what the universe was saying before about thinking different thoughts, well, if you can be grateful for something and, and sort of raise your vibration, you're thinking differently maybe about it. You can allow in more uh, changes, more... Um, things that can uplift us and change the way we look at the world the life and, u- and the universe so two uh kind of interesting quotes nice short and sweet uh from the universe and from abraham i uh, hope you enjoyed them and of course next week we'll have a couple of more uh quotes in store for you and uh just to remind people we are live on facebook on our facebook live stream we already have jonathan ann and kevin thank you guys for tuning in and let us flip around the camera while i introduce to you our guest today in studio, and it's someone who I've actually known for a while, and I invited back on the show because of the wonderful work he he's done. Uh, it is my pleasure to introduce to you Mark Monchek, who is the founder and chief. Chief Opportunity Officer, COO, but not your typical O, of the Opportunity Lab. Mark empowers conscious leaders to build great companies that make a difference in the world. Mark has worked over the years with leaders from such organizations as Google, Apple, Etsy, Eileen Fisher, Taproot Foundation, GE, Goldman Sachs, The New York Times, Wharton, uh, NBC, Time Warner, United Nations, and the United Way of Greater New York. To help them take their organizations to the next level of sustainable growth. And sustainable is a key word to keep in mind today. Mark is also a filmmaker, an author, and a public speaker. His work has been featured on Lifetime, um, uh, uh, A Good B, Conscious Talk Radio, WCBS, Catalyst Newsday, Working Women Magazine, and the San Francisco Chronicle. Mark's new book, The Culture of Opportunity, How to Grow Your Business in an Age of Disruption. Let me just show you real quick. This is the book. It's a great book. It is a compact manifesto that will show you how to thrive in the new world of business. The Culture of Opportunity provides a description of the need for cultures of opportunity, case studies that demonstrate the process and the results, and a toolkit to build your own culture of opportunity that is committed to doing well by doing good i love that doing well by doing good and it is my extreme pleasure to welcome mark to the conscious consultant hour welcome to the studio mark
1: thanks sam it's a pleasure and honor to be here
0: with w- you today wonderful wonderful mark and, and we've kind of known each other for a little while but um for our audience. Um, let's just give them a, a little bit of background. Ooh, we got some some loving from the audience. Uh, what I mean, you're very much into this, um, uh, as they call it now, like like um, social good uh, ventures. Right. Into, you know, doing business. But it's not just the typical dog eat dog way of doing business. It's about doing it in a more sort of conscious way. Um, collaborative way what kind of brought you to that i mean were you always like that i mean from the time you were a kid were you the guy with like the lemonade stand that like got three or four other kids and said let's do this together or is this something that sort of developed over time
1: well i think i was a kid who always had a a concern for doing good in the world my parents were both uh, social activists my mother was an artist who had a very deep social activist part of her art uh, my father was a physician. Later on, became a psychiatrist and was very interested in heal- healing people. Ah, okay. the People who couldn't afford to go to therapy, sure. or, or people who were put away in mental institutions, who he helped to get out and helped to uh, have a normal life. Wow. So uh, I was really brought up around the, the the belief that you need to solve what my mother used to call the dog on the side of the road problem. Mm. So she would say that you know you would ride down the road and you would see mm-hmm. a, an injured dog on the side of the road and right. the typical person would say oh, i should stop for that dog maybe that dog looks really really sick maybe that dog's going to die mm-hmm. but i'm kind of busy I'm, I'm sure the person behind me will stop right, the person right, behind right. Uh, you comes back slows down and says the same thing, thing right. and very possibly nobody stops right. so my mother would say you know if i see a dog on the side of the road and i think that dog might die i'm not going to wait for the person behind me i'm going to stop and i'm going to make sure that dog doesn't die wow. so if we, as a society, as a, as a culture, right, as a civilization, can solve that problem where it's not okay for a dog or a human being or any living thing to be on the road to death, that right. somebody has to do something about it. Right, right. So um, that's the kind of family I grew up. Wow. wow! And uh, my parents were the only two people in my entire family that were not in business. So the other oh. side of my family, they were all entrepreneurs. So oh, uh, okay. my my uncle's side of the family had a um, toy factory, or uh, actually a toy uh, distributorship, which still okay. exists in Brooklyn today. Oh, cool. uh, Shepper distributor and sales Shepherd. company.
0: All right, shout uh, out to Shepper. <laughs> uh,
1: yep. Yeah. And then my grandfather on my mother's side uh, had a brush company that made. Fine Artist Brushers, that is still mm-hmm. around today. is owned by Binnie & Smith, the company that makes Crayola crayons. Ah, okay. So I grew up at the intersection of art, psychology, and entrepreneurship. Yeah, sure. So I was always fascinated wow. with why do some entrepreneurs succeed and others not? Why do some businesses hit a certain level and then stop? Hmm. Why are some ontre- entrepreneurs having fun at what they're doing? Others are miserable. So I, I really studied the psychology of entrepreneurship and the organizations that they run.
0: Wow. So that's what
1: I've been passionate about since I was pretty young.
0: Wow, wow, that's incredible. That's really kind of a, a unique background. And not too many people I've met who who like were exposed at such a young age to both sort of the business side of things and making money mm-hmm. as well as sort of the, the, the social service and the human mm-hmm. side of things of like what, what do we do about people and, and what do we do to improve life for people around the world. You know, I think can't remember the name there was a russian philosopher who once said that society will be judged by how it treats the poorest of the poor Mm -hmm. you know and it's sort of like the, the the dog on the side of the road analogy it's like how we treat those people who have nothing is the biggest reflection uh for us of really where we're at in our growth and development isn't it yep absolutely wonderful wonderful okay it's time for us to take a quick break um, so let's, uh, go out to break and when we come back, let's start talking about what brought you to write this book, Culture of Opportunity, um, and sort of what that even means and we'll start getting into it. Fantastic. So, everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. My guest this hour is Mark Monchek, founder and chief opportunity officer of the Opportunity Lab and an author of the book, Culture of Opportunity. And we'll be right back.
2: 24 hours a day.
0: Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. Big shout out to all of our listeners on the Facebook live stream. And thank you, Dennis. I know he shared the video. Really appreciate Dennis. He's such a a loyal listener. Um, So we're talking with Mark Monchek. And he's not just the founder, but the chief opportunity officer of the Opportunity Lab. So what's a chief? I know what a COO is. That's usually chief operations officer. What's a chief opportunity officer?
1: Chief Opportunity Officer is the person who, his job is to see opportunities everywhere and to decide which are the right opportunities for your organization or your clients or your investors or your, uh-huh. you know, your stakeholders. Uh-huh. So it, it was a way to call out um, how important it is to be a culture of opportunity. Right. So the reason that I titled the book Culture of Opportunity is that I grew up in an age where if you worked hard if you went to school if your parents wanted better for you and you were willing to do what it takes most people could advance in life now of course things for women and african-americans latinos were were not equal for sure absolutely but as a society and even for those groups things were getting better generation by Mm -hmm. generation right and then as i was growing up and into the 70s and 80s that whole opportunity culture in the united states really shifted yeah so back in the 60s and 70s the companies had a sense of pride in the Mm. communities that they they had their businesses in and a sense of pride for the number of employees that they hired they had pensions they had health care they had a variety of different benefits
0: right and there's a sense of loyalty too
1: a sense, a sense of loyalty on the part of the company to the employees and right. the employees to the company. Exactly. In the 80s, uh, when Reagan took over, uh, the stock market shifted and the shareholders became the primary stakeholders to a company. Right. The employees, the customers, the communities became almost second or, or add-ons or right. not even thought
0: about. Not that it, important, right? right.
1: So I wanted to write this book to help re-energize and reinvent the idea that a business – could be a culture of opportunity and with our government broken and with nonprofits in very important but still relatively small in terms of the general economy that Mm -hmm. I think businesses today need to be the drivers of of social change right Right. so to to play off of one of your quotes you know having the same thought every day (laughs) is gonna get you to the same place every day right right so in order for businesses to shift and become sustainable over time businesses need to shift how they think about themselves right Right. so if we go back to 2007 which is sort of the genesis of this book Mm -hmm. you know we had a bubble created in the united states we weren't even necessarily aware of it right Right. so we had housing prices going up we had the stock market going up we had internet companies at incredible valuations Valuations. and then in the beginning of 2008 it started to come crashing down Mm -hmm. so little by little We started seeing uh, the stock market go down. We started to see companies laying off tens of thousands of people. We started to see the unemployment rate going up. We started to see uh, people defaulting on their mortgages. We started to see communities devastated by uh, housing prices that were inflated, and then people couldn't pay those inflated mortgages. Right. Just at that same time, I had been, uh, I came back from India, mm-hmm. had an incredible spiritual awakening in India. And oh, then three yeah. weeks after I came back, I found out that somebody who had worked for me had stolen an enormous amount of money from our company. Whoa. And so I had my own personal crash wow. at the same time that our economy was crashing. So mm. I was waking up uh, every day, starting from February 2008 all the way into August, watching the news, getting more and more depressed mm. about our. Situation here in the United States and in the world, and then about my own situation. So,
0: you know, I had sort of a similar thing because at the time, and this is before I was doing what I was doing mm-hmm. today, I was in real estate at the time, and I actually had this development project that. Um, I remember it was November of 2007 that uh, I was about to get started and then the bank pulled the construction loan and I had put everything into this project, my own money, my family money, even some outside investors. And then the price, the the values came crashing down and I, I tried to salvage it and do something with it and held on to it for years, hoping to do something but couldn't sustain it after a while and just lost everything with it. So it's sort of very similar of like, like, it was like life hitting a reset button and, and very difficult to deal with at the time.
1: Yeah, and if, if you're anything like me, that your ego becomes devastated because your yeah. sense of self-worth right. is very much aligned with the success of your business or how much right. money you have right. or some sense of economic security right Uh, so that was happening to tens of millions of Americans maybe maybe billions of people around the world and it was happening to me at the same time right so um, fast forward August 2008 I tried everything over those course of those seven or eight months Mm -hmm. to get out of this depression I couldn't do it ended up in a hospital and um, I had been a social worker, uh, psychotherapist early in my career, and I was oh, really? I worked. I worked in mental hospitals, oh. so I was on the other side of the bed. I was, ah. I was in this very, very strange sort of, um, deja vu, but from the other side. <laughs> situation seeing <laughs> so things
0: from the inside um, out instead of the outside. So it's in. a very yeah. humbling experience, you know. Yeah. And then ah. when, when
1: you wake up and you realize you still have a life, the word gratitude. Ah. You know, it, so talking about the the quote that you had from Abraham. Yeah how important gratitude is. So as much as you think you don't have when you realize the things you do have, Mm -hmm. um, that enables you to have a different sense of of looking at the world.
0: Right, right. right.
1: So that word gratitude evolved into another word, which was opportunity. Mm. So I started thinking, what is the opportunity for me Mm -hmm. in my own personal crisis? Mm -hmm. And what's the opportunity for the American economy in its Mm. crisis? So I started seeing this interesting phenomena uh, where... Never in my career in business, 35 years in business, had I seen a period of time in 2008 Mm -hmm. where you saw companies that were iconic brands, companies that were bellwethers of the American economy, uh, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, Mm -hmm. uh, AIG, Mm -hmm. General Motors, uh, Blockbuster, Mm -hmm. uh, literally go out of business. Almost overnight. Or they shrank to a tiny shell of their former self yeah. and then you start seeing new companies like Uber, Etsy, Airbnb. Right. You know, Facebook back then was only four years old. Right. Google was only seven years old. Right. You know, Amazon was maybe ten years old. Right. So you start seeing companies through the worst economy since the Great Depression mm-hmm. were rising and succeeding and doing better than ever and some of the most iconic companies that have been successful for Dozens, if not hundreds of years, were falling and crashing. Right. And I was thinking, why is this happening? Uh, And the reason is they had a different take on what was happening around them. Right. The companies that um, failed were frozen in fear. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to just cut employees, cut expenses, and do the least and hope that it would be over with. They were in denial. that It wasn't just the economy had shifted. The world had changed. Right. The other companies that we talked about before were thinking about what's the opportunity in this economy for my customers, for my employees, and even the more advanced ones for the environment and the the Uh, communities they work
0: in. And again, a a very uh, good example of how thinking the same thing over and over again, the status quo was crumbling, and those companies went out of business, but it was the companies who were able to think differently, who were able to see – see things in a different light and and take a different take on traditional business were the ones that actually were able to thrive in the middle of all this chaos
1: exactly that, that that's exactly the main point of the book is how do you think differently in a mm-hmm. world that's different and in the age of disruption so the subtitle of my book is right. uh, how to grow your business in the age of disruption is acknowledging we are in an age of constant disruption yes. constant change and unpredictability. Yeah. So if you think that you're going to run a business based on predictability, yeah. uh, you're thinking something that is no longer a reality. I'm not sure if it ever was, but there certainly right. was a lot more predictability right. than than there is now. And it'll, I don't think it's ever going to go back to being predictable. Yes. It may change in the way it's disruptive, but I think it's always going to be disruptive.
0: Right. Yeah yeah it's kind of like in the past there were certain cycles that you could count on and like you didn't always know exactly how the cycle went but you had a general idea but now after that that time period that blew up the economy it's kind of like the cycles are non-existent and and it's kind of they're all over the place and it may be quite a long time before we start to see some settling that that we do get to see something cyclical again if that ever happens at all because of right, several different factors, technology, social change, um, you know, just uh, the millennial generation that just looks at work a whole different way than people like you or me were brought up to look at work. right? Um, th- and I think during this time period, um, isn't that when this idea of a quote-unquote B Corp, of a, a benefit corporation even came about? Which yeah. is kind of like a hybrid between a nonprofit and a for profit company, like that was a whole new idea too.
1: Uh, yeah, so that's an organization called B Labs, which is based in Philadelphia. They started the right. you know the B corporation sort of the good housekeeping seal of approval right. for companies that want to actually be certified that they are really intending to be and are good for their customers, their employees their communities and the environment so yeah the the b corp started i don't know somewhere shortly after 2008 yeah I uh think. and it's it's taken off and there are there are many many yeah. b corps now yeah and some b corps have been purchased by uh, publicly traded companies. so like annie's naturals mm-hmm. uh ben and jerry's right um uh plum organic you know right. these are companies that were purchased by large multinational uh, companies like um, Campbell Soup and right. Kraft and so forth.
0: Right. And, and, and there's also sort of been a shift in attitude. Like a lot of, they say now, a lot of uh, people coming out of college, when they look to work for different companies, they actually look to see, like, what is their s- um, sort of s- social... Um, uh, um, uh, what is their s- social venture side of their business? Like, what do they stand for? And, and what are they contributing to the world, not just what product are they making?
1: Yeah, the millennial generation, 90 million millennials, my daughter being one of them, uh-huh. um, are are changing the face of the workplace because they want to work for a company that actually cares about their customers, their employees, and their communities. Right. They want to... Um, buy from those kinds of companies. Right. they want to work in communities where there are those companies that are existing and they want to enjoy their work and feel like right. there's some there's a purpose to it and there's some sense of fun to it So, right. And so because there's such a large cohort in, in the world, right. uh, companies are now saying, wow, we really have to uh, understand that millennials are driving the change in the future
0: right right. And they're also not afraid to leave, quit and not even show up. Um, a, a gentleman I met, a number of years ago, his name is Scott DeGraffenried. He was like I remember was when he was he was one of the first people I know who started looking at sort of the millennial generation and how they were different from people came before. And he was like I forget what he was doing. He was like a human resource consultant, and he was reviewing companies like um, exit interview forms to see like why were people leaving the company because the company was having a hard time with retention rates and so typically they had like a couple of different boxes of of why of how someone left like you know two weeks notice uh, you know called in and, and decide not to come whatever and then there was a, a, a new like written in checkbox um, I think it was just the initials like DS and 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 um or dr like for didn't return and that was checked off a lot and he went to them he says like what's this dr didn't return and what do you mean they didn't come back that morning they're like no like these people actually like went out to lunch and never came back and never said anything and they just left and this was a whole like people beforehand never did anything like that you always at least told your employer i'm leaving but this new generation again, kind of who grew up on video games that were used to like, oh, you finish the level, you just jump to the next level or you got killed. Fine. You start a new character and you start playing again. They were perfectly comfortable with just leaving and not even saying anything. And, and that really sparked a whole different way of looking at employment and what people wanted and what they were willing to do if they didn't get what they wanted.
1: Yeah, so um, I guess we're ready for a break Yeah, a so minute, we're going to take a break. Let's talk about millennials when we get back mm-hmm. because that's an interesting uh, generation. Right, and, and I
0: want to also just – we'll dive also a little bit more deep, deeply into your book and, and, and who you wrote this book for and is it for millennials or not and what they should be able to take from it. So everybody, you're listening to The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, and we will be right back after these messages.
2: You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. If you have an interest in marijuana, you want to know about marijuana, law, policy and culture... Then feel free to join me, Joseph A. Bondi, every Friday at eleven o'clock in the morning on my show in the Know 420 on TalkingAlternative.com. the Earth continue to resist the passage of this legislation. Hi, this is Rob Kay. And I'm Callie Alpert. And we're hosts of the Rob and Callie Show. Are you looking for a show that talks about real stuff like life, love, the pursuit of being yourself?
3: then you have come to the right place because we cover topics ranging from chivalry to gratitude to your relationship with money and everything in between.
2: So listen to us on The Robin and Show, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on talkradio.myc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day.
0: back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're talking this hour with Mark Moncheck, author of the book, Culture of Opportunity. Um, so when we just dropped off last segment, we were talking about millennials and kind of the importance on the workplace. Um, is your book for millennials or is it for other people?
1: It's really for anybody that, that cares about um having business be a driver of positive change is anybody who cares about understanding the dynamics of change that are going on in the world and how it affects them and what they can do about it hmm. so it's for executives it's for entrepreneurs it's for social activists it's for nonprofit leaders or anybody who works in a business and says like i want to be able to do better right. based on understanding what's happening in the world
0: now, this concept of just the idea of business being a sort of an agent of positive change i mean that's a fairly new concept relatively speaking uh how did that even like come about that we could even think that way which is a wonderful way to think
1: well if we go back to the golden age of American business right Mm -hmm. we started in the 1800s into the 1900s so you had companies like uh U.S. Steel Andrew Carnegie uh, Rockefeller with um, Standard Oil uh, Henry Ford with the Ford Motor Company Right, each of them had a very different understanding of what their purpose was in the world. So Andrew Carnegie uh, was a vicious union buster. Yeah. He took um, resources out of the ground to mm-hmm. uh, create steel, uh, to build railroads. Mm-hmm. Uh, his interest was in building great philanthropic institutions like the New York Public Library, right. like Carnegie Hall, right. um, you know, like, like Carnegie Mellon university. Right. So he had a sense of social good. Uh, his sense of social good was uh, we will be as profitable as we can be. And then once we're that profitable and powerful, then we'll give back. Right. Right. If you look at Henry Ford as an alternative, Henry Ford, uh, priced the model T right. The first mm-hmm. American, uh, Consumer car. culture car yeah. at $800 a car. Why? Because he wanted his own employees to be able to afford Ford it. Him. And he paid his line workers more than the industry standard because he understood that it was really creating a car for the middle class right. and building a large middle class that was going to create success for the Ford Motor Company. Right. Now, later on, he had union issues, and he's, I'm not saying that Henry Ford was the ideal employer, right. but in, in a lot of ways, he embodied a very, very different approach than, let's say, did Carnegie or Rockefeller. Right. And then later on, you started seeing uh, you know, entrepreneurs in, in much later age, you know, Ben & Jerry's with, with Ben mm-hmm. & Jerry's Ice Cream, uh, hiring people from the community. Uh, buying only organic milk from local farms in Vermont, right. uh, Richard Branson, you know, with yeah. the Virgin Group, and some of the companies that are around today that are actually in business to solve a social problem. So like Etsy, for example, um, you know, which is a mm-hmm. uh, retailer for people who have uh, home businesses as artists and artisans and mm-hmm. people craftspeople, they wanted to create a market for people who could not, start their own retail store who lived in a rural area or or even indigenous people around the world who had Mm -hmm. no way to sell their goods so I think there is now a convergence of understanding that if business does not have a good purpose does not uh, help in some way Mm -hmm. then it will no longer be sustainable over decades because uh, Millennials won't want to work for that company they want to buy from that company and when you Mm -hmm. ask people would they choose a company that's doing good over any other company, 70% would if the price is about the same. Right. So as companies have been price competitive and as millennials have become much more educated and active in how they buy, we've started to see this shift happening over a couple of decades. Yeah. So for example, you can compare a company like Starbucks with a company like Dunkin' Donuts, right? Mm-hmm. So Starbucks started the trend of fair trade. Buying fair trade right. coffee, not the first, but the biggest by far. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, having organic coffee, um, paying their um, baristas and people the people working in stores more than their competitors, giving their employees health care, mm-hmm. giving their employees stock options, even if they were part time employees, mm-hmm. giving them educational benefits, and then giving their customers a place where they can go and work and study, and right. hang out for the whole day, and get right. Wi-Fi, right. even if they were just having one cup of coffee, coffee. Right? right? Whereas right. Dunkin' Donuts doesn't have that kind of culture. Right. Um, there have been a lot of lawsuits about Dunkin' Donuts franchisees suing Dunkin' Donuts for not honoring you know, their commitment to their right. uh, franchisees, yeah. and yeah. so forth. So we have choices now that we didn't have before, right. right? And the more educated you are, you can decide that, I'm not just voting, every four years for president. I can literally vote hundreds of times a week right. for the companies that I buy from. Where do I live? You know, who's my landlord? Mm-hmm. Uh, who do I work for? Mm-hmm. You know, um, Absolutely, yeah. Who do we I do go to for different services? Day, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's voting with your wallet yeah. is the most powerful form of voting that there is yeah. in a way. Um, and you, so your book is titled Culture of Opportunity. Why is it a culture?
1: It's a culture, to me, because it's a way of thinking, it's a set of values, it's a sense that we are all in this together for a common purpose. Hmm. So if you look at a company that has, really, does not have this connective culture, Mm -hmm. right, um, right? I'm not, I'm not coming up with an example immediately, but let let's say a, a company that doesn't really have these social values or the connectivity between their people. All right, let, let's
0: uh, let's say like some big pharmaceutical, like one of the big pharmaceuticals. Okay, so, Pick anyone; it yeah. doesn't matter. So,
1: so they, they 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 may have their own unique culture, right. but if their culture is not deeply embedded in caring about employees, customers, and communities then that's not something that's going to get expressed in their level of sustainability. Right. So when things get tough, maybe their employees are going to leave. Maybe right. their customers are just waiting to buy from the next company because there's nothing about their company that creates any loyalty. Right. It's just, well, if your drug is cheaper, your drug is better, I'll buy from you. Right. But um, somebody comes out with a different type of drug, I'm going to buy from them. Right. right. So now we're seeing that in order to attract millennials and keep them working for you Mm -hmm. in order to have customers be loyal to you in order for even investors to stick around for the long term having a culture that embodies uh, positive values and has an intention to actually do good for those different key stakeholder groups like customers Mm -hmm. uh, communities and employees that's what creates a long-term ability to stay around in business and to uh, deal with the disruptions that that come around. Right. Uh, Peter Drucker once said one of his most famous quotes is uh, culture eats strategy for lunch. <laughs> so you could have the best strategy yes, and if yes. you don't have a culture that will support that strategy, right. you won't have a strategy that will work, right? right? So if Peter were around today, I would tell him strategy and culture must eat lunch together. Mm, in other words, the culture right. itself it has to be in alignment. Needs to be coming up with a strategy right Right. so in the old world of business a handful of white men sat in a room with some market research from a relatively small percentage of customers and they decided the fate of their company and they would have a long-term 20-year plan and march toward that plan as if there was predictability in the world Okay. So now in order to deal with the age of disruption, you have to get input from all the different people in your company and outside the company, right? The people who listen to the customers on the phone every day, the people who sweep the floors in the store, who see what's happening you know, on the ground in the store, right. uh, customers who are giving you feedback. You got to listen to those customers, not just right. send out a customer survey, but actually right. talk to those customers. And when they respond to the survey, do something about the results right. of that survey. Right. right, right, right.
0: Yeah, I actually find like nowadays because technology makes it so easy. It's like almost every company I interact with wants me to fill out a survey okay. afterwards. Yeah. At how it was working with their person and i'm like i don't have time for this any like in the beginning i used to be really good about it and i'd like to you know give good ratings but it's like now
1: it's like everybody's doing it and it's like i don't have time for this anymore um, but, but if they really wanted your feedback rather than you fill out a survey yeah. when you call them up right and you got an issue on the phone right. and you give the feedback to the customer service representative that's the time where they exactly. should be responding
0: exactly like, and that's like and, and this in a way it's kind of like whitewashing in a way where I see some companies where they have the mottos and the slogans and they they talk like they're so customer focused and they're for the betterment of all this stuff but then you actually interact with their customer service department and it's like dealing with a robot because the only training the customer service rep has gotten is like reading through a database and they, they don't have the authority or the power or the knowledge to really help you and it's like You're telling me you're so customer-focused, yet I can't get a simple problem resolved? How customer-focused is that? And I think a lot of people feel that way. And I'll give a a perfect example of this. I I, I needed to to buy an appliance for an apartment, and I went online. I found a really good price for it from a very well-known name retailer that's a very old retailer, has been around a long time and i ordered it and um it was being delivered to an apartment that uh, my mom owns for the tenant and i I checked in with them i was like did they deliver it yet they were like no i was like that's weird they're supposed to get they said they would get back to you in like 24 to 48 hours after i ordered it and it never happened and so uh, um I said, okay, let's wait one more day. And then the guy calls me the next day. I got a call from them saying that we have to come pick it up. And I was like, no, I paid for shipping. What are you talking about? I call up the guy and it's like, oh, we just found out our store is closing. We can't deliver anything. And uh, you have to pick it up by the end of the week or you, you lose your order. And I was like, I just put this order in last week. How come nobody told me the store was closing then that I would have to pick it up before I ordered it? And how come I didn't get a call 24 to 48 hours telling me right away? And, and it was just such an aggravated mess that to me it showed completely no regard for anybody at all. They were just like, let's dump this stuff, get it out as quickly as we can. And, and if you can't pick it up too bad, you lose your order. I was like, that's just ridiculous. And no wonder this company is going out of business.
1: Yeah. And then on the other hand, you do see companies that actually the the senior leaders do care about their customers. They do shop in their own stores to test. They actually talk to customers. Yeah. They walk the floor. They talk to employees. So, you know, there are companies like that. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to Costco, but yes, like, oh, absolutely. Like yeah, Costco yeah. pays their their employees better than average. They have better health care benefits, and you get a sense in the in the store. You can feel that. I don't know if you right. if you like Trader Joe's. But
0: I love Trader Joe's right down the block here I, on Seventy Second Street.
1: I, I, I was once in line at Trader Joe's, and I said to him, just talking to myself. I said, "Oh, I forgot the scallions." So I hear the guy get on the PA system. Uh, produce gets. Scallions from been uh, bringing up to aisle six, and wow. so the guy brings me out. I'm like, I didn't even ask for it, but they they actually care about you, and they're very proactive. If you if you're walking right. around in uh, Trader Joe's and you look like you don't know where you're going, yeah, or you're unhappy, you. they'll yeah. actually go up to you. Is like, can I help you, sir? Right. I feel like I'm on a cruise ship. That's yeah, how, yeah. That's yeah. how. Um. And
0: and that's a culture. That's a culture. That's yeah. a culture because it's not just one employee; it's all of the employees, and it's just the way the whole organization is run. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, believe it or not, it's time for us to take our last break of the show. So when we come back, um, we'll we'll uh, tie it up with a couple of last little points from the book, and we'll let you know how you can get in touch with Mark. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, and we'll be right back.
2: You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hello, this is Mark Torres and Pronto Comics' own Dominic Sperano. And listen to our show, It Came From the Radio, right here on talkradio.nyc. Every Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Where we talk about entertainment, movies, comic books, and other news. So make sure you check us out. That's right here, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, every Wednesday, talkradio.nyc. talkingalternative.com
0: Welcome back to The Conscious Consultant Our Awakening Humanity. We've been speaking this hour with Mark Monchak, author of Culture of Opportunity, How to Grow Your Business in the Age of Disruption. Mark, what do you hope people who read your book will get out of the book? What's your intention?
1: My intention is to understand that we have a choice, going back to the dog on the side of the road problem, we have a choice to stop, to care. And to be proactive in our life, not just to think the same thoughts over and over Over again again. and be frustrated. Uh, We can choose who we work for. We can choose how we work. We can choose who we buy from, where we live. Now, of course, I'm not saying those choices are easy. I'm not saying that um, everybody has equal choices. But the book is really about understanding that if we're going to live in a world that is sustainable over hundreds of years, we have to shift the way that we're thinking about uh, the environment, about the people who live on this earth, and particularly customers, employees, and communities. And if we can do that, and we are seeing a big change in right. that mm-hmm. um, then we can have a much much better world right. and rather than waiting for government to do something we could right. wait a long time yeah. uh, that, that businesses can be and need to be and in many cases are being the drivers of social change and you as an employee as a, an executive as an entrepreneur as an investor uh, as a uh, partner in some way whether you're a vendor or some wherever you are in this in the ecosystem of the company you can actually do something yeah. Uh, to make a world better through your interactions with business
0: so would you say i mean given all the mishigas and craziness in the world these days are you hopeful for the future
1: yeah i am i'm um, i i am a a glass half empty glass half full person people <laughs> always say i'm a glass half full person i see the glass i say yeah i i appreciate the water that i have in the glass mm-hmm. but i also think that why should the glass not be full? Right. Because, you know, there are people who need to drink from that other half of the glass. Yeah. Well, so I, I am hopeful, but I'm also understanding that um, hope is not a strategy. Right. And um, we've got to do something in order to make sure that, that our optimism is warranted. Right.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm I'm a kind of the glass is always full kind of guy because mm-hmm. half the glass might only have mm-hmm. water or wine or whatever's mm-hmm. in the glass, but the rest of the glass is filled with air. True. So it's yeah. always completely yeah. full. Yep. Yep. Um, so now you operate out of a very interesting space called the Center for Social Innovation. And I was wondering if perhaps you could just talk about that as uh, this is very much an example of a place that creates a culture of opportunity, uh, isn't it?
1: Yeah, great. So the Center for Social Innovation, which I am a founding member of, it's at 601 West 26th Street all the way to West Side near 12th Avenue. Mm-hmm. And going back to our conversation about millennials, our members probably we have 70 to 80 percent of our members are millennials so Mm. um i have and being a father of a millennial very protective of the (laughs) idea of millennials i think we're in an era of millennial bashing so a lot of the critique is millennials are selfish millennials are um uh, entitled entitled you know they're lazy they can't stick to anything first of all there's 90 million millennials so you can't make a generalization about 90 million people absolutely um (coughs) I will tell you that if you go and see the Millennials who work out of the Center for Social Innovation, they are very different from the stereotype that people have, okay? right. and I'm very very much wary of stereotypes of any group. Right. But our Millennial cohort is extremely ambitious, they're extremely hardworking. Mm-hmm. They are very committed. Um, they are very consistent. And actually, we keep them as members over a fairly long period of time. I mean, we've, been only, we've only been around for four years, but we've had a mm-hmm. lot of our members stay and stay with the same organizations over a long period of time. Why? Because they care about the organizations. The organizations care about them. Right. The center cares about people. We try to create a really humane and fun and sensitive and funky right. workplace where you can really be creative. So we have right. 220 Small organizations, wow. social enterprises, and nonprofits. About 550 to 600 people work out of our space. Mm-hmm. We have about 30,000 square feet of beautifully designed space around mm-hmm. three principles sustainability, Mm -hmm. local sourcing and Mm -hmm. what we call maximum return on collisions meaning we want people to literally collide with one another (laughs) so the kitchen is the central focus of our community people collide around food, around coffee, we have a beautiful event space so we have events there every day of the year and people meet each other uh, purposely or accidentally going to events, Uh, we have an open space design as well as a closed space design so we have a a sort of a hybrid so Mm -hmm. you can work in an open space and you can meet um, babies and dogs mm. and scooters and uh, other members and then it, for privacy you can duck into a phone booth mm-hmm. uh, we have private offices there we have five conference rooms where you can have some privacy mm-hmm. so we really have I think a, a very innovative and very unique sense of how design creates community and how community creates sustainability.
0: And and do you guys, I think you still, I don't know, do you still do like a community lunch on like Fridays or Uh, community dinner? Wednesday Wednesday is 1230.
1: We have our salad club community lunch so you can come over and you can join us. You can get a tour uh, on a Wednesday. It's uh, socialinnovationnyc.org I think. Wonderful. Uh, If you just, if you Google Center for Social Innovation NYC, Uh, you'll come up with our website, uh, the website of the center. Our company is The Opportunity Lab, Uh, so we're www.oplab.com. We're a member of the Center for Social Innovation.
0: And so what does Oplab do? Uh,
1: Our mission is to empower conscious leaders to build great companies and make a difference in the world. We do that through uh, strategy and leadership development programs. So Mm -hmm. we'll come in, and we will put your company through a series of programs to help you build a culture of opportunity Mm -hmm. one of our most unique programs is called unlock your network Mm -hmm. so we do a whole program for companies to unlock their social networks Ah. um, and to show you that you actually have all of the resources that your company needs Mm -hmm. to solve whatever problem that you have Mm -hmm. Uh, we will build a map for you and that map will show you the key people Mm -hmm. organizations markets Mm -hmm. sources of capital Knowledge and communication, when you see it as an interconnected ecosystem, you will be amazed that you have far more resources that you, than you even yeah, knew. Right, and once right, you is right. identify the goal that you want to reach, we will help you find those resources from your existing community oh, to reach beautiful. that goal.
0: Beautiful. Uh, are there particular industries that you find are maybe a little bit more open to your message than other industries? Or is this something that just kind of resonates across the board with people?
1: Yeah, I think it. We have companies in all different sectors of the economy. Mm-hmm. I think creative um, companies tend to be more open to this. So, right. design companies, uh, software development companies, uh, product manufacturing companies. But we've had companies in real estate. We've had companies in manufacturing. Uh, oh, okay. We have companies in um, electrical supply, in retailing, in healthcare. Uh, in nonprofits, and social right. enterprises. Right. So it's not so much about the sector, it's about the leaders. So right. when right. when there's a conscious leader that actually really wants to make that difference, mm-hmm. um, that's how they come to us.
0: So, so one last question. I'm, I'm just curious. Since you've kind of started on this journey back in 2008, what has really surprised you the most about this whole idea of culture of opportunity and this 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 you know idea that business can actually be a positive force for change what surprised you most over the years that you've seen happen
1: how many people are drawn to it really and how many people when you show them there's a different model yeah. how many people want to read about that model want to work in a company that has that model want to buy from a company that has that model so i'm very excited and very ah. very hopeful that we can draw those people in by having them read the book having them see the companies that we talk about in the mm-hmm. book having them visit the center for social innovation and really get involved so i'm, I'm extremely inspired by the number of people that have come to us as a company mm-hmm. uh, for me read the book so there's a groundswell out there of people who actually see that we can make a difference
0: beautiful beautiful and the name of the book is culture of opportunity where can people get it
1: uh you can go to amazon and just google culture of opportunity or my name mark manchak you can go to our website and find a link to it there Videos, webinars, content. Uh, it's all there for you.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, do you have, how do people get in touch with you? How do they find out about Opportunity Lab and find out uh, about you?
1: They can email us at dis- discover at op-lab, mm-hmm. Go to our website, uh, sign up for our newsletter. Um, wonderful. Come for a visit. And, and
0: any events coming up? Anything coming up you want to let our audience know uh, about? Sure,
1: I'm doing a keynote at the Rotary Club New York City oh, on July 26th. I'm doing an impact community event um, at uh, Keller Williams Real Estate Firm on September 12th and Mm -hmm. um, probably about a half a dozen podcasts that are recently uh, on our website. You can check out our website and has all the information about what's going on with the book, with me and with our company.
0: And that website, one more time, is
1: opplab.com.
0: Wonderful, beautiful, Mark. Thank you so much. And once again, here you guys go on the Facebook live stream. Here's what the book looks like. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to come up here for the interview, Mark. I really appreciate it. It's great to reconnect with you. Sam, my
1: pleasure. Thank you. Great show. You're
0: welcome. You're welcome. And uh, I just want to give a big shout out, of course, to our viewers on the Facebook live stream that I didn't have a chance to shout out before. Shelly Ann, Franklin, Stephen, Mark, Micah, thank you guys for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Go out and get this book. Culture of Opportunity, How to Grow Your Business in an Age of Disruption by Mark Monchek. is a wonderful book. Definitely something uh, to have uh, as in your wheelhouse as your reference. Let's come to another end of our show. And I get to announce that we now have one of our shows it is immediately following the Conscious Consultant Hour. You will be listening to Is It Plugged In with Adam Jeffrey Weinberg starting a brand new show today? And you'll you'll start uh, getting all his new shows uh, after my show Thursdays at 1 p.m. Remember, you can always catch the Conscious Consultant Hour here on talkradio.nyc, 12 noon Eastern Time, talkradio.nyc. We will be back next week. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll talk to you then.
2: You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.
3: Who do you want to connect with? Are you an entrepreneur or intrapreneur looking to build your following? Welcome to our show. Follow, Follow me Friday. Friday with Joan and Priya. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern on talkradio.nyc. We're, We're your, your digital, digital connectors. connectors. Woo woo! What's
2: that? <laughs> <laughs> hey all you crazy listeners.
0: Thursdays, 12 noon, on talkradio.nyc.
2: You're listening to The Talking Alternative Network.